Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we have a little problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. It seems producer Sean has come down with a case of acute separation anxiety. Every week when we are done recording, he slides off his chair and weeps quietly under the table. Now, this could be because listening to me reading for hours on end has finally driven him mad, but I like to think it's because that every chapter we read brings us a little closer to the end. But you can prolong that by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find this and keeps me writing books so that Sean never has to leave. Ever. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 19. A theme of the Lady of Fire's speeches during this time was that the United States was an old, overweight boxer. Our enemy is a heavyweight champ from back in the days when they used wire to communicate. He is tired now. He moves slowly and has to rest often. He eats greasy food and watches his belly grow. He doesn't fight for himself, but for promoters, businessmen, and sharks who understand that they can make just a little more money from him. He will fight hard at first, but he cannot sustain it. We are the young, strong fighter who has nothing left if he loses, but everything if he wins. Adriana's metaphor proved to be both inspiring and apocryphal as the United States settled into a three-year stalemate on the Brazilian coast. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. It was morning. Vago slept alone in the Salah last night, and the entire time wished that he hadn't. After Isra left to go after Althea, he went directly to a room the Occulto prepared and tried to get some sleep. It was difficult with the noise from the main hall of the Salah. Every drunken yell from the tables and giggly girl outside his door invited him to get up and join. This did nothing for his mood. He could have used the distraction. Anything to mask that terrible feeling of betrayal and impotence. It all seemed like a disgusting lie after what happened last night, a kind of depraved spectacle to keep him and the rest of the population distracted so Isabel and her cronies could continue to commit atrocities. Still, he craved the distraction, if only to cover that hollow, disconnected feeling that grew more intense as the night wore on. The fight with Gabriel in the amphitheater helped for a while. The thrill of unarmed combat, the warm embrace of military camaraderie, and the even warmer embrace of Cytheria's women all provided the same rush he got when he was with Althea. Captain Colton's words echoed in Vago's head once again. You gotta do something that excites you, friend. You can't use another human as a substitute for the tea. Dropping it is all about freedom, and you can't be free if you force your dependency on another. Everyone says you'll be happy when you quit Triple T, but the truth is, you can't quit unless you're happy. What was he going to do? If Althea wasn't going to let him into her life before, she certainly wasn't now. And without Althea, the only thing he had was the tea. And this place, he thought as he sat up in bed. It was all a constant stream of sex and violence to keep a population in the grip of a power-mad dictator. But, like them, he felt drawn to it. It made life simple, satisfying, and, dare he say it, happy. There was a knock on the door. It was probably one of Gabriel's men, sent to get him so that he could go with them on patrol again today. He rolled out of bed and strapped the RX-5 to his chest. He might as well go along with it, after all. He told Isra that he would. It was the best chance to find out what the Arenha's ultimate plan was. He pulled on his white pants, shirt, and white khaki jacket. 
He slipped his hat on just as the person on the other side started knocking again. See him, see him, said Vega, opening the door. Tell Gabriel I'll be there. Vago looked down into the wide-eyed face of Kronos, who stared up at him. You speak the words of Cytheria with these now. You talk in here as one of them. Have you become as them? Kronos, I'm not even sure what that means, said Vago, shaking his head. He studied the little balding man for a moment. He had the look of terminal sleep deprivation at the best of times, but now the dark circles around his eyes seemed darker and heavier. He stood in the doorway, as if every part of him weighed twice what it normally would, and even his skin looked like it was just hanging from a frame that didn't fit completely. You all right, Kronos? he said, hoping he wouldn't collapse right in front of him. Working with Joanna, he said, weaving slightly. All night? Kronos pulled up the sleeve and activated his arrows. Venus is on a completely different rotational period. Day and night cycles do not mean the same thing. The concept of night is... Have you slept at all in the past 24 hours? Kronos looked up. Not really, no. Vega pointed inside. You want to use my bed? More than anything. Vago moved aside so Kronos could enter. He went directly to the lumpy mattress mounted on the wooden frame and fell face first into it. His entire body relaxed, as if every muscle released its tension in one blissful moment. Vago gave him a knowing smile. Joanna working you over pretty good, huh? Kronos didn't move. His voice was slightly muffled by the bed. If you are referring to our productivity and repairing her ship and extracting the data hidden there, then yes. Her persistence is both inspiring and hard to duplicate. I wasn't referring to that, said Vago, grinning. Then you must mean her sexual prowess. Unfortunately, I know nothing about that at the moment. Vago scratched the back of his head. Funny, I could have sworn she was ready to mount you right there in the middle of the ship. Kronos rolled onto his back. I think I am doing something wrong. Jesus, Kronos, said Vago, rubbing his temples. Human interaction just isn't your thing, is it? I think it should be easy. People have goals and wants and desires and work to pursue them. It should be a simple equation to use that line of reasoning to anticipate their thoughts and actions, but... It never works, does it? It's like a game where everyone else in the universe was informed of the rules just before I arrived, said Kronos with a touch of desperation. Vago picked up the sheathed sword and belt off a wood rack on the wall near the door and strapped it around his waist. If it makes you feel any better, Kronos, it don't strike me as an easy game for no one. Some are just better at faking it than others. I wish... I wish that I knew how to fake it. It's easy, thought Vago. You just take everything you know in your heart to be true, push it away, and then you continue to do the same thing you've always done. Because if there's one thing people respect in a person, it's consistency. Vago took up the spear by the door and stopped. It occurs to me if the game ain't working in your favor, then it's time to make up your own rules. Get some sleep and go back up there. Tell Joanna how you feel when you're around her. When I think about her, I think it would be nice if our tongues were like two wet cats fighting in a sack. Vega opened the door and paused. Okay, never mind. Don't be saying that to her. Don't be saying that to anyone. Man, I'm never going to get that image out of my head. Listen, just tell her that you like her. Tell her that you like her a lot. Maybe throw in the fact you think she's beautiful, smart, and... Kronos sat up. Her knowledge of pre-fall cybertech systems should be the basis on which all knowledge is measured? Yeah, sure, said Vega, shaking his head. That kind of geeky foreplay works. Go for it. Bottom line, if there's something you want, something that's going to make you happy, you just got to go for it, and to hell with the consequences. Kronos lay back down. Thank you, Vago. Vago closed the door behind him and started walking down the hallway out of the sala to meet Gabriel and his men. Failing happiness, there was always distraction. For the moment, it was the best Vago could hope for.
A couple hours later, Vago marched with Gabriel, the head of a Cytherian platoon, along the Modesto Wall. Gabriel's soldiers marched in perfect step in the searing heat. Their bronze shields, polished to a mirror finish, reflected the light from the sun in blinding flashes whenever Vago looked back at them. He didn't see the laughing, smiling faces he came to know at the Salah over meat, wine, and women. There was no humanity left behind those helmets. They were just a mass of faceless shock troops. Nothing more than the physical embodiment of the Arenha's power and a means of maintaining it forever. Gabriel pulled Vago out of his private thoughts. Everything okay, my friend? You were quiet this morning. I had a long night, said Vago. Gabriel smiled and touched his nose repeatedly in kind of a knowing gesture. I warned you when you left the Salah with Lorena. She is very beautiful, but her bed is a provocayo of its own. Vago sighed as he remembered the evening that Althea interrupted by showing up with the child. So much had changed since then that it barely felt like the same night. I had to leave the party early, said Vago. Something important came up. What is it, Vago? Nothing too serious, I hope. Ah, oh, what the hell, he might as well bring it up. Gabriel seemed like a man who appreciated directness in others. Althea followed the Arenha, carrying a baby beyond the wall. She said she carried the child to a kind of altar, left it there, and walked away. Gabriel stared straight ahead and marched. Finally, Vago added, Do you have anything to say? What would you like me to say? said Gabriel. Vago sighed. I don't know. Tell me she was mistaken. Tell me she saw the beginnings of some birth ritual. Tell me that Isabel wasn't going to murder a child. Gabriel didn't flinch. He didn't break step, and he didn't look anywhere but directly in front of him. Why, hide what is true. Food is scarce. Dangerous forces surround the city at all times. We cannot feed and protect a person who cannot feed himself or protect others. I am not proud of it, but it is what must be done. So you're okay with it? I am at peace. You ever have a kid killed like that? For a moment, Gabriel didn't speak. The only sound was the rhythmic footsteps on the hard-baked ground. Vega began to get worried that he had offended him when Gabriel said, My first son was born sickly and deemed unworthy. And you feel nothing. There's no love for anyone in this city. Gabriel called for a halt. Vago felt his gut twist. Maybe he hadn't offended Gabriel before, but he sure as hell had now. The platoon stopped moving and Vago braced himself for a fight. Or maybe he'd just let Gabriel take a shot. The Cytherian captain stepped in front of Vago with his face inches away. Do not mistake me. Raising the children is not my duty, but I care for them. I cried for that child, Vago. I cried, and when I was done, I picked up my spear to defend those that still live. Vago looked in the man's eyes. There was still a spark of humanity left. He could see that, and it brought a strange kind of comfort. Vago couldn't say where he stood anymore when it came to Cytheria, but as long as that spark still existed, he had an ally. I'm sorry, said Vago. Gabriel relaxed and stepped back. It is okay. I understand. The decisions we make are sometimes terrible, but they must be made. The moment was interrupted by a deep, hollow clang of alarm bells in the distance. Vago turned toward the sound. What is that? Casario, said Gabriel in a breathless voice. A fight has come to us, Vago. Will you join us in battle? The bland ennui Vago woke up with disappeared, replaced with pure adrenaline. His world became razor sharp, as if someone dumped a load of triple T into his veins. Vago held up his shield and spear. I'm ready. Gabriel turned to the soldiers, called for a quick march, and they took off toward the sound of the bells. They arrived at a farm that was under attack a few kilometers from where they were patrolling. Vago estimated they covered the distance in less than 15 minutes, a stunning feat for a group of soldiers that size. Still, when they arrived at the farm, it looked like they were too late. Great billows of white smoke rose from the fields of barley and wheat. 
A structure in the distance, probably a farmhouse, was engulfed in flames. It was so large that Vago could feel the heat from it before he could see it. The platoon moved into a waist-high field of grain, and Gabriel slowed them down. Vago scanned the area looking for any sign of hostility, though he really didn't have a solid idea of whom or what he was looking for. Gabriel pointed at some shadows in the distance. Cassario, front line! The men of the platoon formed four shoulder-to-shoulder lines in front of Gabriel, and those in front held their shields together to form a single, unbroken barrier. The men behind thrust their spears forward to create a mobile spiked wall. Vago started to join them, but Gabriel grabbed him and led him behind the line. Stay next to me for now, friend. You do not know the maneuvers, but let your heart be happy. Watch. Learn. Your blade will taste blood before the end of the day. Forward, men! At the order, the platoon started marching toward the shadowy figures in the distance. Through the smoke, they looked like apparitions, demons from his mother's stories who came out at night to ruin the farmer's crops. When they got closer, Vago got his first look at the enemy that made the people of Cytheria live in fear. They were thin, wiry, and seemed to be built out of nothing but bone and muscle, with hair matted into several long, thick dreadlocks. Their faces and bodies were painted with white clay, which made their eyes seem almost black by comparison. They appeared to Vago savage, ruthless, and terrifying. Moving in a tight group like a pack of scavengers, most carried some sort of long metal pole with a nasty barbed knife mounted to the edge. Still others carried small flaming torches and left a trail of fire and smoke in their wake. Gabriel called for the men to halt. The Casario raised their strange weapons. He could see now that they were long, hollow poles with something smoking toward one end. It took a few moments for Vago to realize what he was seeing. The Cytherians carried spears and swords, and these raiders? They had guns. Not terribly effective guns, but guns nonetheless. Another order, the soldiers braced themselves, and Gabriel crouched behind his men, and Vago did the same. There was a series of deafening explosions. After that, the sound of metal slamming against metal as the projectiles struck the shield wall. The spray of bullets knocked a few men, especially in the center of the line, off their feet. One or two men fell to the ground, screaming in pain. The men behind dragged the wounded back and took their place at the front. The line of soldiers marched forward. The Casario, seeing the invincible human wall in front of them, turned to run. A few tossed their flaming torches behind them, causing the dry grain field to catch fire. The platoon stopped when there was nothing ahead but flames, smoke, and figures retreating into the distance. Gabriel called to his men in front of him. We must catch them! Sweep to the left and push them back to the wall! Move! Move! The captain's order brought a flurry of chaos as men ran in every and all directions. There was no sound but the loud metal drum roll of armor on the move. Before Vago could get a firm grasp on what was happening, he saw that there was a new line that faced directly left of where they had been before. This line was only one or two men deep, but stretched twice as long. Gabriel ordered them forward and they began to march in a long arc around the spreading flames. They moved in formation for a few minutes when the captain of the guard sensed something about the path ahead. He shouted for his men to slow down and be cautious. At nearly the same moment, without warning, a group of raiders popped up, giving Gabriel and Vago barely time to dive to the ground before the thunderous crack of rifle fire. The men weren't as ready this time, and about half the soldiers on the front line fell backward. Gabriel jumped up and yelled, Attack! over the screams of his injured soldiers. He took up his spear and hurled it over the Cytherian line where it struck a Corsario in the chest. The soldiers on the front line yelled and surged forward to engage the enemy. Vago rushed forward to join the battle. The neat line of soldiers fragmented as each one engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Casario. Vago scanned the field, looking for his own fight. It didn't take him long to find it. He locked eyes with a young man crouching with his head just above the waves of grain who bared his teeth like a cornered animal. 
For the briefest moment, Vago relished the thrill of combat again. Nothing else mattered. Althea, Isra, Arenha, Isabel, and the whole of Cytheria was nothing but background noise. The only people in the world at that moment were Vago and this Corsario, with streaks of white across his face and the barbed, primitive rifle in his hand. One of them was going to die, and Vago's only concern was to prevent it from being him. In a way, war simplified the world. He sprinted forward with his spear out in front of him. The man responded by jumping up and running at him. Vago shifted his weight to block the attack with his shield, which deflected the first blow with a bone-shaking clang of metal. But the attack pushed Vago off balance, and he reeled backward. Before he could steady himself again, the raider attacked with the butt of his weapon. Again, Vago felt the crack of metal on metal, and he was again thrown backward. Vago felt himself lose control of this fight, and, out of desperation, he thrust his spear forward. The raider dodged the attack and struck the polearm with the barbed point of his bayonet. The spear splintered and forced the weapon out of Vago's hand. He tried to reach for his sword, but the man already charged at him again. The weapon collided with the shield so hard that Vago felt painfully wrench his shoulder. The man struck again and again, each time causing Vago to stumble backward. Each attack came so fast that the Martian warrior could do little more than brace for them until he lost his balance and fell onto his back. Vago felt a brief moment of panic as he looked up at his opponent. The Casario held the barbed bayonet ready to plunge it directly into his chest. There was not a trace of mercy in his eyes. Vago could only look up into the face of the man about to kill him, and, at that moment right before death, he thought about Althea. A paralyzing fear came with it. He'd always assumed he would die on a battlefield. Hell, there was a time that he hoped that would be the case. But he had also envisioned himself dying for something noble. As the raider started to move, Vago closed his eyes, waiting for the lights to go out. Then, nothing happened. The sound of battle still raged around him. The smell of smoke and blood was in the air, but he didn't feel anything. Vago opened his eyes and saw Gabriel's grinning face. "'You need more training,' said Gabriel, extending a hand. He pulled Vago to his feet and muttered in English, "'Wouldn't have this problem if you folk would fight proper.' The battle was already at its latter stage. The Casario that were still alive turned to run as the fight became hopeless. Scytherian soldiers threw their spears at the backs of those retreating. They held up their swords and cheered. Gabriel walked with the rabble of soldiers, clasping them on the shoulder. They run! We have saved our city again, friends. You all fought with bravery on this day. There will be extra drink as we tell of our victory. Vago drew his sword and started walking. The other soldiers celebrated and he hated them for it. It had been pure chance that he was not among the dead in the field. His life would have ended, and the only reason for it was to perpetuate the same cycle of death. Vago turned to face the soldiers and yelled in Cytherian, Cowards! You weak and stupid cowards! The celebration ceased, and every soldier fixed Vega with a look that said they were going to finish the job that the now-dead Casario failed to do. Gabriel stepped forward. Vago, what do you... They turn and run, and you let them? They flee the fight, and you declare victory. Why? Some more of you can die when they arrive again? So you can watch your friends killed and farms burned? Vega waved his sword in the air. Let's follow him! Let's end this fight! Let us show the others in the Salah what real victory looks like. Vago stood with the sword in the air for an awkward moment. The only sound was a crackle of flames and the rustle of wind through the grain. Expecting was the wrong word, but he had hoped the other soldiers would cheer and rally behind him. But they mostly regarded him with an air of incomprehension. He started to get the sense that he would have to take on the entire platoon when Gabriel finally stepped forward. Our friend from afar is correct. They flee and we let them attack again. If you possess the courage and strength, there will not be another attack. 
This time the soldiers responded as Vega hoped they would have. They cheered, banged their spears and shields together, and drew their swords. Form up, Gabriel called. Front line. We run them down. To our death or theirs. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.